Thank you for listening to the sermon audio podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. Now here's a message from our senior pastor, Brian Bond. All right, how's everybody doing today? Appreciate the men who uh, stepped up on Friday when I was not able to go to the uh, men's retreat. I heard it went great, and I look forward to hearing more uh, reports about that. And uh, man, we have some some great men here in our church that are that are that are great leaders, and I really appreciate all that they do. Um, today we're finishing up our series called All In, and we're talking about investments and. Seeing as such, and me being the investment genius that I am, I'm going to tell you about one that I made. Um, back in around 1990, I worked for, in Austin, Texas, I was working for a church part-time, and I worked full-time for some little startup company, maybe you've heard of it, they were just getting started, called Dell Computer Company. And one of the things that they did for us, when for those people who were working there, was they allowed you to put 10% of your salary into stock. And they would match that. So I did that for a year. And at the end, I ended up with about 150 shares of Dell stock that was worth, at the time, about oh, $1,600 to $2,000. And then when I went to the church full-time and, and quit from Dell, that's why I thought, you know, I got a report and it had grown a little bit. And I thought, man, that's a bunch of money. I, I'm sure I was wondering what I could have done to, to, to purchase with that. So I went down and cashed out the stock. And got my $1,600, $1,800 and went and spent it on things of which I cannot remember even one thing that I spent it on. I'm sure it was good. But because you can do everything on the internet, the other day I went back and I looked because that stock splits seven or eight times in the time that I first had it until now. And so I just, for the fun of it, <laughs> it was real fun, um, <laughs> calculated through those things how much that stock would have been worth if I had just not done anything to it, just left it and just hung on to it for all those years. And that stock that I sold for $1,600, $1,800 today would have been worth around $600,000. So as you can tell, I'm an investment genius. <laughs> um, I could have had eggs every day with that kind of money. Y'all know what I'm talking about? So, but... I sold it. And the problem, the reason that I sold it was because at the time, my outlook, I was not looking forward to what life would be like in two. I mean, I couldn't even imagine the year 2000 at that point, honestly. And so I didn't have any kind of thoughts about what it was going to be like in 2023 or, or, or even having kids or a family or retiring someday or any of those things. That, that, those thoughts never crossed my mind. That was nowhere in, in my in my view or my vision. And here's the deal about investing, and this is true in every aspect of your life, because we all invest every day. We invest our time, we invest our resources, we invest our talents, we invest our money in something every single day. And your outlook is going to determine your outcome. And because back then, my outlook was just about the here and now, I ain't got nothing now. And that can be true for us spiritually. It can be true with what we put our lives into every day. And so what I want us to look at is what are you investing in? And, and yeah, money's a part of that, but it's, it's not really even the hugest part, but it is part. And we're going to talk about money a little bit too. But uh, and a big part of this has to do with what are you investing your life in every day? And so we're going to start out where Jesus um, is talking about someone that kind of did the exact opposite of what I did. And that was he hung on to everything that he got. And he got to a point in life where he had more stuff than he had room to put it. And so we're going to read through that, and then we're going to see, you know, there's, there's a fine line there, and there's a balance there between maybe the way I did things back in 1990 and the way this guy was. So we're going to look at the scripture, Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 16. And if you turn, if you brought your Bible, you can turn there. If not, we'll have it on the screen. But if you wouldn't mind, please standing with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. 
Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Excuse me. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, the first thing I want to talk about is that God's not saying that we shouldn't save money. He's not saying that we, that it's a sin to have stuff. What he said, and he said at the very beginning, at the end, excuse me, is a person is a, stool, is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship toward God. And so what is the, what is the line between, you know, okay, maybe somebody is wealthy. Maybe they are saving. Those things are fine. But if you don't have a rich relationship toward God, all that is going to be wasted. That's the point. All that's going to be wasted. See, that money that I might, might could have reaped from that investment, I, I could have helped people. I could have done other things besides just, you know, buy as many dozens of eggs as I wanted. I could have done all kinds of things, and that's the point of it. When we have a rich relationship towards God and we're giving towards other people, God does bless. And so I want us to talk about, we're going to talk about two different things. There's short-term investment, and then there's long-term investment. You know, and a short-term investment are things that, that are more about the, the, the immediate. You know, for all of us at different times, we end up in a moment where we get to a place in life and there's a need greater than we have resources for. And when a, when a need arises, the first thing we do is look around and see, can I find a way to make this work? Can I take care of this myself? Do I have enough money in the bank? Is there something I could sell? Is there something I could do? How could I meet this need? And so that happened in the scripture too. And uh, we're going to look in Luke chapter 9, verses 12 through 17. Late in the afternoon, the 12 disciples came to him and said, send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodging for the night. There is nothing to eat here in this remote place. But Jesus said, you feed them. But we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. So they had already taken stock of what they had. And when they looked at a couple of loaves, a few loaves and a couple of fish and looked at thousands of people, they realized uh, we don't have enough. What we have is not enough. And there are times in life where you're going to come across moments of need and you're going to look around at what you have and you're going to think, man, I don't have enough. So what happens next? Um, They answered, or are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for this whole crowd? For there were about 5,000 men there. Now they just counted the men because they were the heads of the family. So there were easily 10 to 15,000 people there somewhere in that, in that range. Jesus replied, tell them to sit down in groups of about 50 each. So the people all sat down. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. So what was the first thing they did with the limited resources they have? They gave it to Jesus. They put it in his hands. Okay. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. So there come moments and there come times where you look around and you don't have enough resources. So what do you do? You commit to the hands of Jesus. You don't, I mean, sometimes we get in a place in life and there's no other option but to trust Christ. And if you've been trusting him along the way, you will find it much easier to say, God, this is what I've got. God, I'm going to have to trust you for this. God, I'm going to have to trust you to meet this need. Otherwise, you know what you're going to be doing? You're going to be running around trying, still trying to, can I get a loan? Can I do this? Can I do that? What do I got to do? God wants us to trust him first. So when they realized they didn't have enough, they took stock of what they had. They put it in God's hands. And here's one of the things I've noticed through the years. As I have been committed And my family's been committed to being faithful to the word of God, to giving God what belongs to him and entrusting him for our needs that God has taken a lot of times our resources, which in the beginning, and we knew were not enough and made them enough. 
And some of those are miracles that I still don't fully understand. You know, I've shared the story before of how um, with my, my daughter, we ended up in a contested adoption and went to court, and we ended up owing eighty, ninety thousand dollars $90,000 in legal fees. And I made about $35,000 a year at the time. And I guarantee you, I didn't have $90,000 in the bank. But you know what? Somehow, over the next few months, by the time that deal was over, we were able to pay the attorney. And to this day, I can't fully tell you how that worked. I'm not exactly sure how we did it. Because when I looked around at our resources and what the need was, there was not anywhere near enough. But through the generosity sometimes of people around us, things that we weren't expecting, things that just showed up, God paid off that debt. But we were determined in the very beginning to trust him with it, even when we didn't know what the result was going to be. And so we trusted God from the beginning. Whatever we had, we put in his hands. God, should we do this? Should we do that? And he would answer us every time. And throughout that time, God took something that was this big and stretched it out to be this big. And that's one of those opportunities for faith that we have in short-term investing and putting things in God's hands and letting him deal with it, letting him handle it. But you you have to really be in his hands. You got to be there, okay? And in one of the ways that you're there is by trusting first in God's plan over your own. In Matthew 6, 31 through 33, so don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? And you know what? We're in a time where we do worry a lot about those things. I mean, there, I can't remember, except maybe when I was a a small kid and there were gas lines and stuff like that. And at that time you didn't worry about it anyway. I mean, I remember seeing those things, but now you look around and we're, we're, we're all waiting for the other shoe to drop financially. A lot of us, and we're worried about what's going to happen next year and the year after that. And what's going to happen with the economy and how's that going to affect us? And what does that mean? And there's a tendency in all of us to do just like the farmer did. And that's to man, let's just, let's, we need to get a bigger, bigger hold on what we got. And we need to be storing up in case something bad comes. And I'm not saying it's wrong to save for a rainy day at all. But you know what? Here's something else I'm going to tell you. Yeah, when I look at how much that Dell stock could have been, it does cross my mind every now and then. Matter of fact, anytime it comes across Facebook or whatever, if you could go back and tell your 18-year-old self three words, what would it be? Mine would be don't sell Dell. That would be the three words. All right. But you know what? Here's the other deal. It hadn't really cost me. God's provided everything I've needed in all those years in between. Not one time have we been out in the streets begging bread. Not one time has, can I go back, look back and say, man, you know what? This was, we got thrown out of our house or we got this or that or whatever. And we would have been out on the streets living in a cardboard shack if we, if we'd only had that money. Because God's always provided for us. He's always taken care of us. And one of the reasons is because, and I'm not saying we've been perfect at it, we haven't. But we've been committed to trusting in his plan first and seeking his kingdom first. And that's what it says. Why are you worried about it? So don't worry about these things saying what we eat, what we drink, what we wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. And that's, Christian, hear me. If that's dominating your thoughts about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, and about what you're going to provide, then you're living like an unbeliever. Stop living like an unbeliever and start living like a child of the Most High God, the one who has a cattle on a thousand hills, who has never failed to provide for his people. Start living like believers and start trusting. Okay, These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. He knows everything you need now. He knows everything you're going to need tomorrow. And he knows everything you're going to need a year from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. He knows everything you're going to need and already has a plan to provide for you. You know, when he put the, sent the children of Israel out into the desert and they're like, what are we going to eat? Guess what God didn't say? Oh, whoa. Never thought about that. There's a bunch of y'all down there. Let me think about it and get back to you. God said, don't worry about that. I got it. God rained food down from heaven. They just went out and gathered it up and ate it. 
You know, there's, a, there's an old Jewish legend that, and it's not in Scripture, but there's a Jewish legend that whenever they ate manna, that it tasted just like their favorite food or whatever they wanted it to. So that means they tasted like Krispy Kreme donuts, in my opinion. <laughs> but God can rain down food from heaven if he has to. Or he can provide by making what you have go farther than you thought. But he knows every need that you have already. He says, your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. Now, it may not be everything you want. Because sometimes we get them things mixed up a little bit, don't we? I mean, what man hadn't gone and said, honey, I'm, I'm going to tell you been really thinking about this. I need a new truck. And need and want are not always, sometimes maybe you do. I ain't arguing with you. I mean, if you, that's what you need, then go right ahead. But here's the thing. Needs and wants are not always the same thing, but God will always give you what you need. Seek first his kingdom. Now, how do you do that? By number one, you be, com you be committed to the things of God and what you invest your time in, your resources and your talents. You know, so many people think, well, you know what? If I can just get all my needs taken care of where I don't have any more needs, then one day I'm going to serve God. You're never going to serve God. Because guess what the Bible doesn't say? It doesn't say, seek all the things you need and then someday serve the kingdom of God. Does it say that? No. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. But the more you seek those over the kingdom of God, the more you're going to feel like you lack. See, that's the problem with the guy in the first parable. He had plenty, but it was never enough. Well, if I can just get some more. I mean, his barns were overflowing. What more did he need? He didn't need anything else. But he felt lack because he'd been seeking that his whole life. You know, I can remember it was an a, a interview on one of those things years and years ago. And they asked this guy who was one of the richest men in America at the time, well, how much is enough? And he said, just, it's always $1 more. It's always $1 more. Because the more you seek to fill your needs and your wants, the more you're going to feel lack for more. But when you seek first the kingdom of God, then you will feel like you have plenty. And God will give you everything you need when you need it. <clears throat> You do that in your resources, in your talents, in your time, and in your money. So how do you do it in your money? I'm going to talk about, about money for just a moment, all right? And I'm going to tell you right up front, I don't tell this, it's not going to benefit me in any way, shape, or form. If everybody in here emptied their bank accounts and put it in the plate today, not that I'm saying you should do that. If you want to, you can. But I'm not going to have any more money in my bank account. You understand that? It's not going to change my financial situation. I'm paid by salary. That's determined by our staff relations team. They, they tell me what I'm going to make at the beginning of the year. They tell all our staff. And that's what I make the whole year. And it doesn't change based on the giving or anything like that. So I, I'm not working on commission. I ain't getting nothing from you giving more. But here's what I'm, I'm going to tell you. This is a spiritual principle that I live out in my personal life. Okay, the Bible says bring, bring the tithe into the house of God. A tithe means a tenth. So a tenth, and we do over the tithe, but a tenth of everything that comes into my house, we give to the church right away. Why? Because the Bible says the tithe belongs to the Lord. That's his money. And I ain't taking his money. And so it says in Malachi 3, 8 through 10, should people cheat God? Yeah, you've cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Let me tell you something. God doesn't say very often, put me to the test. 
But in this one, he says, put me to the test. Bring what's mine into the storehouse of God and see if I don't open up store, a window of blessing. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, God doesn't promise he's going to make you rich. He doesn't promise that those blessings are going to be financial. But here's what I will tell you. If it's not, if it's something else, it will be better than money. It'll be better than money. Because God blesses people in the way that is the biggest blessing to them. And so be generous toward the things of God. And I'm going to tell you right now, I, I, we donate to other organizations and to other things too in my house. But the tithe comes to the church, to the storehouse of God. That's what the Bible says. So I'm telling you that because if you want to be all in and you want to be invested in the kingdom of God, that's part of it. And when you do that, let me tell you what it's telling you. God, my finances belong to you. And you're, you're putting your hand, your life, your finances and everything else in God's hand. And there's no better place that it could be. Now I'll tell you right now, if you sit down and add it up, giving 10% to the church will not make great financial sense, but spiritually it will. And over time you will see how it makes sense. Over and over again, God has provided for us in ways that were unexpected and sometimes ways we hadn't even asked for because we just trusted and knew God was going to take care of it. Now, we were always grateful when we received it. I'm telling you, I would never not tithe because I have seen the benefits and the blessings of being obedient to the Word of God. And that's why I do it. I would encourage you to do the same thing and you try it. Put me to the test. I'm going I'm to make you one better than that. If, you, if you've not tithed or you've not been tithing or whatever, if you'll tithe for six weeks, bring 10% into the storehouse of God. We've done this before. At the end of that six weeks, if you can't look back and see the hand of God, you can't see that God fulfilled his part, you can call our church secretary. She doesn't even go to church here, and that's on purpose. She's the one who takes in all the giving. She's the only one who knows who gives what in this church. You can call her up and say, hey, Pastor Brian made this promise, and I would like my last six weeks' tithes back, and she will write you a check, no questions asked, and not tell a single soul. So try it. I'm giving you a money-back guarantee to try and see if God will do what God does. What do you got to lose now? So don't, well, I, don't, I just don't know if I... Try it. That's all I'm going to say about that, all right? But if you want to be invested in the things of God, then you give God what belongs to him. And the Bible says the tithe belongs to him, all right? So what belongs to him goes into the storehouse. Try me. Test me on this, he says. And you test us too. We'll give it back. You know what? I'm so confident. I'm willing to make that agreement with you. And I promise you, she doesn't, she will not come in and tell me who it was. I will have no idea that it, no one will know that it was you that, that goes to church here. Now there'll be that one lady, but she goes to some other church and you'll never run across her. So do it. Give us a try. Second thing. When it comes to long-term investments, outlook determines outcome. What are you focused on? What are you looking for? You know, it's, it's fine. The Bible doesn't say that you're not supposed to like provide or, or think about your retirement or be saving. It doesn't say those things at all. But what it does say is have a greater outlook. Look beyond retirement. Because you know what? Your, your time here on this earth, you could gather all kinds of stuff and have a bunch of money at the end of your life, which you don't know when it is. But no matter how long you live, what you have to experience here is a, a moment in time compared to eternity. But the rewards that you store up in eternity are for, forever. What you do for the kingdom of God is an eternal reward that will last for all of time and beyond. So what does the Bible tell us to do? 1 Peter 1.13. So prepare your minds for action. In some versions, the earlier translations it says gird gird your minds and that was the the original meaning of the word and that word gird is you know when the days of jesus they would wear longer robes and when they needed to run or to do something 
where action was required, they would take the end of those robes, gather them up, and tie them around their waist so that they would have no restrictions in movement. And so sometimes we, we got to prepare our minds to, for action by clearing into things that, are, that keep us from moving. And a lot of times that has to do with our outlook, that the eternal things are more important than the temporal things. That you know what? Maybe, maybe taking the time to go minister to somebody or tell somebody about the gospel is more important than having an extra 30 minutes of work in a day. Maybe, maybe doing this, spending this time with my family, my kids, to put the, the, the word of God into them and to show them what it's like to live for Jesus is more important than going and doing this hobby I, I like to do. Not that there's anything wrong with doing hobbies. But don't sacrifice your family for it. Sacrifice the, the, the temporal for the eternal. And so we want to have the right outlook. We want to be prepared that when we have a moment, you know, there's two different kinds. There's people that they're in a room and somebody, you know, says they have a problem and they'll sit down and it don't matter if it hair lifts the governor. They're going to sit down until that needs taken care of. Even if they're late for this, late for that appointment, they have five other things to do. And then there's people that are like, oh man, I, you know, I, 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 got, I got to go. I got stuff to do. And you know what? That's a natural thing that a lot of us have. But sometimes we need to sacrifice. You know what? This, that stuff's not that important compared to this. I'm, I'm going to stop and take time. I'm going to pray with them. I'm going to share when I can. Sometimes I need to drop everything to go help a friend. Because I'm going to put the eternal over the temporary. Prepare your minds for action. Exercise self-control. That's the ability to say, I'm not doing that. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at these things with, a, with an outlook of eternity and not temporarily. Then it says, put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. There's going to come a time where he's going to hand out rewards for what we did here on this earth. That should be the greatest longing of our heart. It's not to get to the end of our life here on this earth and go, man, look what all I got in the bank. It's to go just beyond that to when we face Jesus and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Now enter into my rest. That should be the overarching theme of our life is the desire to hear that from our Savior. It's to be able to turn from the things that are momentary and turn to the things that are eternal. Now I'm going to show you what a, an eternal outlook looks like. In Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to talk about Abraham and Lot for a moment. What was Abraham's outlook? In Hebrews 11, 8 through 10, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. Even when he got to the land that God promised him, he didn't own it all. God hadn't given it to him yet. And so he lived there, but he lived like a foreigner. He lived in tents. You see, that land, that inheritance wasn't going to come true until the sons of Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel after 400 years of captivity in Egypt, were released and brought to the promised land and then after 40 years of wandering around, then they took possession of it. Abraham was just living there with an eye of what was to come that he would never actually experience. So did Isaac and Jacob who inherited the same promise. They didn't see it either, but they lived there. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. You see, we're living now in, in a time and a place where God's promised us a lot. Someday there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and we're going to reign over this place, and it's going to be perfect. But until then, we're foreigners. This is not our home, the, the, the place in its form now that we're living in. This is not going to be our home. It's not heaven, and it's not the new earth. So we're temporary here. So what did Abraham do? He lived in a tent. He lived in a temporary style of living. The Bible even tells us these bodies that we live in, they're tents. 
They're not permanent. We're going to get a new permanent body that's never going to decay. Never going to have a problem. We ain't never going to sneeze. Never have a cold. Never get sick. None of those things. We're going to get that. That's the promise that we live for. He was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. So he knew someday there was going to be a permanent dwelling, even though right then he was living in tents, in land that had been promised to him but wasn't his yet. But Lot had a different outlook. Okay, Abram was very rich in livestock, silver and gold. There's nothing wrong. There are lots of numerous people in Scripture that were very poor that followed God, and there were people that had a lot that followed God. It's not the amount of your bank account. It's, it's what's in your heart. And then, so anyway, he, he's there with Lot. Lot also accumulates a lot of wealth during the years. And what happens is all their flocks and herds are together, and then their herdsmen start kind of fighting each other because they're, they're all in the same place. And so Abraham says to Lot in Genesis 12, verse 8, he says, finally, Abram said to Lot, let's not allow this conflict to come between our herdsmen. After all, we are close relatives. The whole countryside is open to you. Take your choice of any section of the land you want, and we will separate. If you want the land to the left, then I'll take the land on the right. If you prefer the land on the right, then I'll go to the left. So Lot looks out, and there is this valley that is gorgeous. Green, has cities already in it. It's fertile. You can live in a house, which Lot ends up doing in one of the cities. Or you can go out to kind of the wilderness. It's not developed. It's not nearly as fertile. You're going to keep living in tents. Ain't no houses there. No drive-through, you know, where you can ride your camel through and get a burger on the way home. Those things weren't there. And so he, he looks. Lot took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zoar. The whole area was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord of the beautiful land of Egypt. This was before the Lord, Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot chose for himself the whole Jordan Valley to the east of them. He went there with his flocks and servants and parted company with his uncle Abram. So Abram settled in the land of Canaan, and Lot moved with his tents to a place near Sodom and settled among the cities of the plain. But the people of this area were extremely wicked and constantly sinned against the Lord. Now, Abram chose to look at things in the long term. He let Lot choose. And what did Lot choose? He chose the here and now. Everything he wanted is right there. It's already fertile. There's already grass. There's already water for his herds. There's cities there. There's culture. If that's what you want to call it. They were already woke, so he had that going for him. So he goes down there, and he settles around, and before long, he, he's not just living on the outside of the city, he's living in the city. What does Abram do? He goes out and keeps living in tents, keeps moving around. He's in the land God's promised him, but he never, quite, he never possesses it in his lifetime, but he lives on it. And you know what God brings to, to Abram? He brings blessing after blessing after blessing. Now, Abram didn't always do things perfectly. There were hiccups here and there, but God blessed him. Blessed him with an heir. Blessed him with, with peace. Most of the time with the people that he was around. He blesses him. What happens to Abram who chose the here and now? Hey, man, this, uh, that's, that's a cool looking place. That's what I want. I want that now. Abram chose to wait on what God, when God's going to provide him with a permanent city and a permanent dwelling. Lot got his now. But the problem with that is investing for the here and now will cost you in the long run. God decides he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because they're evil. And Abram pleads with God, well, God, if I could find a thousand men there, would you... Would you spare it? And he said, if you could find a thousand righteous men, I'd spare it. Well, what about a hundred? If you could find a hundred, I'd spare it. Well, what about 10? If you could find 10, I'd spare it. Guess what? There weren't 10 righteous men in Sodom and Gomorrah. And so God sends his angels down to look, see if he can find them. And they come into the gates and 
immediately Lot sees them, and somehow he knows they're, they're, they're messengers from God. He, he still has enough discernment left to see that. And so he invites them into his home. He says, look, they said, oh, we're just going to stay out here in the square. And he said, no, you can't do that. Come to, our, come to my house. And so when nightfall comes, all the men of the town surround his city and demand that he sends the two angels out so that they can have sex with them. And so Lot won't do that. But here's a, a passage, and it, it's ugly, but it shows how, how much he's been inundated by the choices that he's made and the here and now and who he's been surrounded by. In Genesis 19, 6 through 8, so Lot stepped outside to talk to them, shutting the door behind him. Please, my brothers, he begged, don't do such a wicked thing. Look, I have two virgin daughters. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do with them as you wish. Can you imagine? But please leave these men alone, for they are my guests and under my protection. Now, you think Lot's daughters didn't hear that? So they tried to ride and tried to grab him. The angels brought him back in and barred the door and told him, you need to get anyone you're related to, aunts and uncles, fiancés of your daughters, husbands, and tell them you've got to get out of town tomorrow because God's going to destroy it. And so Lot went around and his two virgin daughters had fiancés apparently, and he told them, get out of the city, and they laughed at him. Treated as a joke and refused to leave. And then the next morning, he's trying, the, the angels are trying to get him out. And you know what? Lot's having a hard time leaving. Because that's the thing. Once you get a hold of some of that stuff and you sacrificed it for it, it's hard to let go of. At dawn the next morning, the angels became insistent. Hurry, they said to Lot. I mean, what more do you need than God's fixing to destroy and level this place? Take your wife and your two daughters who are here. Get out right now or you will be swept away in the destruction of the city. When Lot still hesitated. Because the farther you go down that road, the farther you go down that path of just I want what I want and I'm going to get it. The harder it is to break free from it. When Lot still hesitated, the angel seized his hand in the hands of his wife and two daughters and rushed them to safety outside the city, for the Lord was merciful. But that's not even the end of it. The one thing the angels told him, they said, go here. And Lot begged him to let him go to one little town. And so the angels agreed not to destroy that one and let him go. And even as they were going to this one place, because they, they wouldn't go where the angels told them to go. The one thing he told them is, don't look back. Don't look back. But you all know, Lot's wife turned around and looked, and boom, she was turned into a pillar of salt. So now, he's lost his wife. After that, his daughters came up with this evil, wicked plan. They said after God destroyed all the cities of the plains, they were wiped out. They said, well, there's no husbands for us. So what they did was they got their, their father drunk on consecutive nights, and they both got pregnant by their own father. I told you it's an ugly story. But see, the thing is that when we choose to hear now over the eternal, and we choose to sacrifice and give up the eternal for the here and now, it costs us. As a result, both the lost daughters became pregnant by their own father. When the older daughter gave birth to a son, she named him Moab. He became the ancestor of the nation now known as the Moabites. When the younger daughter gave birth to a son, she named him Ben-Ami, he became the ancestor of the nation now known as the Ammonites. And hundreds of years later, when the children of Israel come to the promised land, they have to fight as enemies, the Moabites and the Ammonites. You see, the, the decision that Lot made 
It costs not only him, but it costs successive generations. It costs his wife. It costs his daughters. And it costs the descendants of Abraham years later when they had to come in and fight the very ones that back in time were their relatives. Because one chose this way and one chose that way. It's simple. The question is, are you going to live for the here and now? For the temporary? For things that are going to fade? For things that over time are not going to matter? Because when you do that, you will continually have to fight them in the years ahead. It will bring conflict and condemnation and judgment onto your home. Or are you going to live for things that are, that are eternal, for things that matter, for things that are of God? Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with enjoying life or having a house. That's not the point here. The point is, where's your outlook? Where are you investing? Hey, if you got a job, you got a business, work hard. If you do well, good for you. But understand that all those things belong to him if you're a believer. Well, why does God get everything I've got? Let me tell you why. Because putting them in God's hands is safer than putting them in a bank. Whatever I own is God's. It came from him. It came as blessings through what he's called me to do. It all belongs to him. And when you start to see it as belonging to him, you're going to treat it different. You're going to see it differently. It's not, well, man, I don't, want to, I don't want to do that. It's going to cost me some money. I, I know it would help those folks, but how much would it cost me? It's, you know what? This God's money. I ain't going to worry about it. I'm going I'm to give unto other people. I'm going to invest in eternity. And that's the safest place to invest. You can never lose that. That's one of the first things that it says in there is that where it will never decay, it will never lessen, it will never lose its value. What you invest in the things of God will never lose its value. Ever. But you got to choose. It's with your money, with your time, with your resources, with your talents. What are you going to invest in first? Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek first. Quit waiting. You know, some of you just, well, one of these days I'm going to. Well, you know what? If I can never get to a point around this, get this much money, then I'm going to. Well, if I can never get to a point where this point in my business, then I'm going to serve. Then I'm going to do this. You know, there was a, a guy came to an old preacher and said, preacher, I need you to pray for me. And he said, well, what about? He said, well, you know, when I made $30,000 a year, it was pretty easy to tithe. It wasn't a big check. Well, now I make $300,000, and that's a big check, and I'm struggling with that. Would you pray for me? He said, absolutely. Let's pray right now. And he said, God, I pray that you would bring this man back to a level of income where he's free to tithe again. <laughs> you know, sometimes it, it, don't let the amount of it, whether it's little or whether it's a lot. Do you know the, the one person that Jesus really praised for giving was somebody that gave like a tenth of a penny because she gave all she had. And God saw. And you know what? We don't know the rest of the story, but I guarantee. I want a little cage in there for just a second. I guarantee that woman didn't go hungry after she left. Guaranteed. Y'all look her up in heaven when you get there and ask her. Your outlook is going to determine the outcome. What's your outlook? Now, the first part of this is it begins with a relationship with Jesus. 
And here's the thing about that. There really are, there's two kinds of people in the world. There's people that know Christ and are saved and are Christians and people that don't. That's it. And here's the simple truth of it. I'm not saying this. I'm not angry. I'm not trying to hurt anyone's feelings. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. But here's the deal. If you know Christ, you're going to spend eternity in heaven. That's your destination right now. You're headed there. You're on your way. If you don't know Jesus, you're headed towards hell. There is a heaven and there is a hell. It's clearly outlined in scripture. And here's the deal. God loved you enough that he sent his only son to die a horrible death on the cross so that you would not have to die and experience hell. But he also loves you enough to allow you to choose. He doesn't force anyone to go to hell. He doesn't force anyone to believe in Jesus. He doesn't force anyone to be a Christian. He doesn't even force anyone to follow his will or his word. He leaves that up to us as a choice. So the choice of your outlook or where you're going is 100% up to you. He gave you that, that ability to choose. Now, you can't choose to fix it on your, on your own. That's not possible. The Bible tells us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And once we've sinned, you can't do enough good stuff to make up for that. The only way is that God himself sent his only son. God became flesh and dwelt among us. And he did that to make it simple for us. You got to admit you're a sinner, ask forgiveness of your sins and turn away from them. That's called repentance. And then you got to believe in Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by him. He is the only way to heaven. That You can't get there through another religion. You can't get there by doing good stuff. It's only through a relationship with Jesus. I'm not saying that to criticize other religions. I'm telling you that because that's what God said. Period. So you got to believe in Jesus, that he died on the cross for your sins and he rose on the third day, according to Scripture. And then the last thing is you got to confess him as Savior and Lord. Romans 10, 9, and 10, that if, that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So here's the question. Know what your outlook is right now. Is your name written down in what the Bible says, the Lamb's Book of Life, because you have a relationship with Jesus? Then you're good. You're going to heaven. If it's not, Right now, hell is your destination, but you have a choice to change that. You can choose today to change that. If you'd like to know Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord, if you'd like to know that your sins are forgiven, that you are in a right relationship with God, and that you will be with Him in heaven for all eternity, it really is simple. It's as simple as what I just told you. Admit you're a sinner, ask forgiveness believe in Jesus, and confess him as Lord and as Savior. And if you'd like to do that, I will lead you in a, in a simple prayer of salvation. And you know what? In that prayer, a prayer of faith, a prayer of believing, you can change in that moment your outlook for eternity. So I'm going to ask everyone, bow your heads, close your eyes. And if that's you and you'd like to know those things are true, that your sins are forgiven, that you're right with God and that you'll be with him for all eternity. You pray this with me right now. You can pray it in your heart. You don't have to pray it out loud. Just repeat it after me or pray it in your own words if you'd rather, but pray it with me now. Dear God, thank you for loving me and thank you for Jesus. God, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart my life and make me yours I believe Jesus is your son I believe he died on the cross for my sins and I believe he rose on the third day according to scripture so today 
I trust Jesus as my Savior and I confess Him as my Lord. Now, without anybody looking around, in just a moment, I'm going to ask if you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, I'm going to ask you to look up at me. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to speak in front of everybody. I'm just going to ask you to look up at me because I want to talk to you for a moment and then I want to pray for you. If you prayed that prayer today, I want you to look up at me right now and keep looking until I see you, until I make eye contact. You look up right now. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. I see you. Now, here's what I want to tell you. You don't have to do anything else to be forgiven. And that moment, when you prayed that prayer, your name was written down. The Bible says angels are rejoicing that you made that decision. And now you belong to God, and that can never change. Jesus said, when you're in my Father's hand, no one can snatch you from my Father's hand. That's a forever thing. But what we would like to do, because it's important that you tell someone, is we want to give you an opportunity to ask any questions and for someone to talk to you about the next steps in following Jesus. And so we would encourage you to contact us. There's a, a code and a number you can text on the screen. Or in a few moments, John will be here at the front. You can come talk to him. And we will have someone talk to you today. It will take you to another room real quick. It won't take a long time. We'll answer any questions and talk to you about the next steps in following Jesus. That doesn't mean you're joining our church. You don't have to. I mean, you're welcome here. You're welcome to come here to church. But if it's best for you to be somewhere else, we're all right with that. We just want to help you. So we're not going to ask anything from you. We're not going to bug you. We're not going to put you on a mailing list. We just want to help you with that decision. And it's important that you tell somebody. So I want to pray for you, and I also want to pray for each one of us that God would help us to invest in the things of eternity. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy, and I thank you for your son, Jesus. Father, for those that made a decision today to trust you, God, I pray for blessings on their life. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of their journey. And Father, I pray that as the day goes on that Lord, you would encourage them. And Father, that you would send others into their life that would encourage them too in their walk with you. And Lord, we pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. You can find links to topics and scriptures discussed in this episode by looking at the show notes. You can find more information online at greenwood.church. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at greenwoodbc.com.